Welcome to the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello and welcome everybody to another Doggy Dan podcast and today as always I'm super excited I have Sarah Schmidt with me today who is the founder and the current president of the Big Fix Uganda which is a charity that's been working in no surprises here northern Uganda since 2012 uh, where they run the only vet hospital in the entire northern Ugandan region, which is home to more than 7 million people. Just imagine that. You're running the only veterinary hospital for 7 million people. Imagine how many dogs there are. And uh, during the 21 years of war uh, in Uganda, which ended in 2006, there was a complete lack of veterinary services in most areas, which resulted in a huge overpopulation of dogs, and rabies became widespread. So according to Sarah, who we're going to chat to in a second, the animal deaths due to rabies um, has occurred frequently and still occurs, unfortunately, today. Um, but there's also a huge, a very deep spiritual and emotional um, amount of work that goes on through her organization. Um, looking forward to sharing all of this with you, Sarah. Thank you for coming on today. Oh, Dan, thank you so much for having me. And and you've been such a generous supporter of our work in Uganda. And I just want to thank you for that. And thank you uh, for this opportunity. Yeah, well, I, I am a huge believer in your work, partly because I love dogs and partly because I love people. So can you explain a little bit about what you do? Because I do. It is very unique, which is why I love your charity work. Um, you work with helping both the dogs and the people. Can you can you share a little bit about in your own words? What what is the big fix? What do you do? Yeah, so the mission of the Big Fix Uganda is to improve the health and well-being of the people and animals and to promote human-animal bonds. And we do that by promoting uh, health care for animals because when you're living in proximity with the animals, the health of your dogs and cats affects your health and well-being as well. So we work with um, veterinary service. We also do education, school outreach, community education, and we have our Comfort Dog Project, which is probably what we're best known for, which is a program of dog companionship aimed at helping war trauma survivors to overcome the debilitating symptoms of PTSD. Wow. Now, in case you didn't notice, there's a lot of stuff in there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about dogs with physical issues they're talking about dogs with rabies and getting vaccinations all that sort of stuff we're talking about war victims i mean i, I was going to start talking about the dogs but do you mind giving us an idea of of, of of let's just start with the people when you talk about the victims of war how do these victims of war because i think we all know ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder and that's both men and women is that correct absolutely yes you know, women have been traumatized by what's gone on around them and maybe even to them. Men have been traumatized by what they've been forced and made to do. Am I, am I putting words in your mouth there or is that I should? No, absolutely. That's correct. I mean, the experiences of the Acholi people in northern Uganda are really beyond our comprehension hmm. for most of us. They lived for more than 20 years with such uncertainty and a lack of safety um, you know, children were regularly being kidnapped and forced to serve in the in the rebel army. 
either as sex slaves or as gun-bearing soldiers. They were often forced to kill family members or friends. Um, even the Ugandan government soldiers were forced to commit atrocities on villagers, such as the burning of huts with people inside of them. And even at the schools, children routinely were, you know, trained how to run away in a certain direction so that they could avoid gunfire from the rebel and, and government armies. So you can imagine that living in that kind of chaos, especially for those who were abducted, uh, you know, the, the wounds are very deep. And most of um, the people we work with were abducted, like while they were at school or while they were sleeping in their huts at night. They were abducted as children, you know, at about the age of 13, 12, and they were either forced to serve as sex slaves in the bush or they were forced to serve as soldiers. And most of them were in the bush fighting for, you know, five or more years and came out of the bush with maybe children if they were women um, and basically nothing. So when you when you live through that kind of an experience, it really causes a degradation in the social fiber of the people. You don't have the ability to trust other people, to mm. live in community with other people. And so this was the situation for most people post-war in northern Uganda. Yeah. And so, as I see it, the trust between humans, you know, the ability for humans to trust other humans is is kind of shattered. And um, Absolutely. And I guess that's... That's where the dogs come in. Yeah, because what happened was, you know, these people who, who had been abducted and were in the bush for five years fighting, they're dreaming of the day when they would be welcomed back home. Then what they found instead, sadly, was that when they returned to their villages, they were completely ostracized by the people oh. that they had been longing to return to. They were called oh. killers. No one would talk to them. And so you can imagine that being able to trust a human became very difficult. And if you can't trust your fellow humans, it makes it very difficult to live in a society again. And that's, as you say, where the dogs come in. So can you tell us a little bit about, let's start with, um, let's start with the women. So, so how do the dogs help these women who've been, you know, abused and raped and how, how can the dogs help them in life? Well, I'll tell you a couple of stories about two of the women who participated um, in our first class, which was in which started in January of 2015. The first was Filda, and she's the woman who's uh, the subject of the BBC story that came out in August of 2019. Uh, Filda was a single mother of five children when she joined our Comfort Dog Project. In fact, she had a baby strapped to her back as she went through the training. And when I first met Filda on the first day of the Comfort Dog Project training class, you know, she, she was not able to make eye contact. She mm. felt very nervous around other people. Mm. She couldn't stand up and even say her name oh. in a group of people. Uh, and she basically was having a great deal of difficulty functioning. She also had a young dog she named Locoroma who was um, quite a challenge for her to train. And it really caused her to really develop an, an inordinate amount of patience to be able to communicate with local Roma. And that was a very difficult thing for Filda to do, to be patient, but she was. And when she began seeing results, when she began realizing that her dog was understanding what she was saying, her dog was responding to her, it gave her such a sense of satisfaction 
um, that she could accomplish this. And she actually excelled as one of the top people in our class. And by the end of the 20 week training program, I started seeing something quite amazing. And that was, I started seeing Filda smile. Uh, Whenever Lokoroma would respond to her, uh, then she would smile. And this was quite miraculous. And then over time, she began talking to the other people that she was in the project with. She began talking to Frances Moore, our community psychologist who manages the project. She began talking to her neighbors. She began talking to other people. She started working as a field educator, which many of our project graduates do, working for the Big Fix, helping to educate others in the community about dog welfare. And all of those experiences gave her confidence to the point that now Filda uh, goes to school outreach programs and regularly feels very confident and comfortable talking in front of a thousand children wow. at once. Wow. She looks people directly in the eye. She yeah. smiles. She's also employed full-time as Northern Uganda's only dog welfare officer. She goes to people's homes. She inspects the homes. She confiscates dogs that she feels are not being properly cared for. And she's completely changed her level of confidence um, and her um, just her, it, it empowered her working with this dog. And she still has this, this beautiful bond um, with her dog um, that, that exists today. Brilliant. Yeah, just having a purpose in life. Exactly. And uh, I'm feeling like we're good at something and we have a reason for getting up in the morning and, and, and that love connection with the dog and confidence because we're doing a good job. We all know what that's about and um absolutely yeah and as you know dan you know there's uh, there's science behind this this theory of this project you know everyone who's loved a dog can can relate to the fact that dogs make us feel better that's a no-brainer but there's actually a chemical reaction that happens in the body when you pet a dog when you're you know when you're comforting a dog when a dog is comforting you it's it's a release of oxytocin which is the same thing that you would feel when you're you know holding a newborn baby and that's the science behind our project. Yeah, brilliant. And yeah. so uh, probably feels like a good point, good time to, to move on to. So how does the project help the men um, who've survived the war and come back and are kind of all alone? Uh, just yeah. talking about that oxytocin, it feels like a good link. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let me tell you the story about um, Charles and his dog, Ogunbrot. Oh, yeah. So Charles was um, initially abducted into the rebel army and forced to serve for five years. He then was he then escaped, but was was compelled to serve in the government army for another five years. Uh, during that time, the atrocities that he saw and was forced to participate in were really too much for anyone to be able to handle. And and in his case, which is not unlike many other men, he resulted, he, he um, would, would numb the pain by using alcohol Mm. and he became an alcoholic. And in addition to the wartime trauma, he also lost his wife and his only son um, as a result of the war. And so he was left completely alone um, with all of these, you know, horrific nightmares and flashbacks about all these things that he had been involved in. And he just became an alcoholic. And Charles was also in our first year class. 
with very high symptom severity of PTSD when he began the program. And we gave him this dog, Ogenrat. And Charles said that Ogenrat, a female dog, was kind of like his daughter. And he felt like, uh, you know, he couldn't reach out to other people. But this dog was so excited to see him when he would return home. The dog, you know, was always there with him, always concerned about him. And when he started feeling anxious or nervous, the dog learned to come and just put her head in his lap. And that comforted him and made him feel better. And uh, one one time when I was visiting Charles, I told him, uh, Charles, I, I hear that you've stopped drinking alcohol. And he said, yes, I haven't touched alcohol. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, Ogenrat didn't like the smell of it. And so I had to quit. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and so. There's a lesson for us all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and he's doing really well today. Brilliant. Primarily because he has that relationship with his dog. In fact, uh, we have a little problem with some of our guardians because, um, you know, we check the health of these dogs once a month and some of the dogs are too fat. And his dog is oh. one of those, you know, oh. he's very thin, but he gives all his food to his dog because that's a way of showing love. So that's the one thing we have to try to counsel. Oh, it's <laughs> too beautiful. And and just whilst we're talking about this, so Charles and Ogan Rot, you know, if you go to uh, my website, I'll put the video that your beautiful BBC video about Filda and Lokaroma. Oh, and uh, Charles and Ogan Rot, I'll put all those videos and links and photos on the yeah. on my website, which will uh, which will be the online dog trainer dot com forward slash the big fix just for people who are listening you can't go wrong really but could you could you tell us a little bit I, i'm jumping around here but do you know off the top of your head you may not what does ogan rot mean ogan rot means trust in god ah beautiful yeah the Acholi people have kind of a practice of using names as a way to send a message to the outside world yes. i once met a young woman who was helping us with one of our village field clinics and she told me that her name in English meant um, you have wronged your family. And the reason she was given that name is because her father was having an affair with another woman uh, when her mother got pregnant. <laughs> and so it's kind of a passive aggressive way of sending a message out to the world about how you're feeling about things. Yes. So it's very normal that our dogs have some pretty unique uh, and interesting names, Ogunrat being one of them. Yes. And what about Lokaroma? Do you know what Lokaroma means? Yeah. Lokaroma means um, something like um, watch your words uh, because your words are, are hurtful. Wow. And for instance, one of our dogs is named Akanyo, which means perseverance. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the name Tempura which means think about me um, because a lot of these people feel that they were invisible uh, after, you know, everything that they had been through. And Matal Gott is one of our dogs. That name means um, mountains last forever, but not humans. Oh, gosh. And, <laughs> and uh, Watmon means relatives can never forgive. Wow. And one of my favorites is Pataga. We have one of our dogs, Pataga. You'll recognize her in photos because she has a scar around her muzzle. She was caught in a snare trap oh. before we managed to rescue her. And um, her name means, I am not shaken by whatever you do. Incredible. Pretty nice commentary. It really, really makes you wonder. There's some of the names we give our dogs, you know. I'm thinking of mine, you know, <laughs> Jack and Moses and Inca. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's really an interesting thing. I, I, there's no place I've ever been where I've, I've heard about that being part of the culture. And I think mm. it's just another of the many fascinating things about the Acholi people. It's beautiful. I mean, yeah. I always thought it was funny to call your dog Kevin or Alan, but it doesn't really have <laughs> much depth to it other than being a bit of a laugh. Yes. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin the dog. <laughs> so one of the things you were saying, when you were talking about this, about Charles and Ogunrot and um, Filder and Lokaroma, was just how it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in. It doesn't matter what culture, ethnicity. We are all so similar in yes. that we always have these desires to be loved to have someone to love, to be able to contribute, to be significant. And, um, yeah, we all, we all want to come home and somebody to be happy to see us and, and somebody just to be able to feel us. And it's that feel, the ability of a dog to feel us, yes. whether we're happy or whether we're sad. It's huge. And Dan, these, yeah, these dogs are amazing. You know, they're they're not purebred dogs. They are street dogs. Yep. They are plain yep. brown, yep. medium-sized dogs in Uganda. Uh, and these dogs just intuitively figure out how to help their person. And it all stems from having that very strong bond. So our 20-week training program really focuses on developing that bond between the dog and the guardian. Brilliant. And like for instance, there's um, one dog guardian team, Lucy and her dog, Sadiq. Lucy was uh, forced to serve for five years as a rebel soldier. She was abducted when she was 12 years old. And she actually advanced to um, be an officer in the rebel army. Wow. She's just an incredibly strong Gosh. woman. And, uh, she came back, was ostracized and hated by everyone oh. in her village. And so we gave her this dog, Sadiq. And she quickly became so bonded with this dog. In fact, she doesn't like to be referred to as Lucy. She prefers Mama Sadiq. Uh, and this dog, within weeks of being placed with her, learned how to help her. You know, she would have frequent flashbacks uh, frequent nightmares. And when she would be experiencing a flashback, Sadiq just intuitively learned to start distracting her and trying to get her to play, wow. which she did because she loved him. Yeah. And so Lucy said that over time, like she didn't have time to, to be living in those flashbacks anymore because whenever she started experiencing one, her dog distracted her. Yeah. And she told me after some time, she didn't dream about the nightmares of the war anymore she dreamed about playing with Sadiq wow and that's that's what these dogs are doing for the people it's really amazing yeah yeah I I think one of the things I I love is the fact that when you talk about it it's I feel like I know that if I was to turn up in Uganda and meet these dogs I know I'd be able to connect instantly and I know many people listening would be the same if you can connect with a dog yes. who's a pedigree dog in America or the UK or Australia or wherever you're listening, if you know how to connect with a dog, you can connect with the dog worldwide. And so that's what's incredible. Yes. They'd, they'd come out of the hut and as long as they're friendly with people, they'd read you, you'd read yeah. them and boom, no different. And you'd be like, wow, Absolutely. it's a dog. Beautiful. And we're waiting for that day when you come to New York. To uh, <laughs> we're waiting anxiously. I am so, I would so love to. I've got a busy schedule. Otherwise, oh, if it I was empty, I'd be like, yep, I'm coming. There's a lot of places I'm looking forward to visiting. So, so you've touched on so many things there. Um, I'm already going, gosh, we could have 
podcast on just each of these one things. So that that's what we call the comfort dog project. Is that is that kind of right where you're helping the people overcome some of the war, the dramas and traumas of war? Yes, absolutely. In fact, we're actually helping the dogs and helping the people at the same time. Because yes. these dogs were rejected. Uh, Lokaroma, who was filled as dog, you'll see in the BBC broadcast, she was actually found on a rubbish heap. She'd been thrown away as a puppy on a rubbish oh. heap. And so, you know, these dogs would have no chance for a yep. good life. Yep. But when they come in part of our project, we make a lifetime commitment to them just as we do uh, the guardians. And we've had some of our guardians have died, which means that we immediately become involved in either rehoming the dog or making sure that another family member can care for the dog. We do monthly health checks on the dogs. You know, we really maintain, um, you know, that relationship with the dogs over time. And so it's a, it's a win for the dog and it's a win for the person at the same time. Brilliant. So, just roughly for people listening, how many dogs have you worked with or got in the project or have been through the project, would you say? I'm not sure whether. So as of right now, we have graduated 56 dogs in our program. Beautiful. Um, and um, we're looking forward to having another class starting early next year. And those 56 dogs all go on to be kind of um, looked after by a god dog gun he said god god dogian god dog guardian <laughs> yeah so these dogs they actually um we pair them with a war trauma survivor and then yep. together they go yep. through the 20-week training program and they graduate together and um so yeah and then they they live happily ever after Beautiful. Yeah. And so the big, I'm presuming, I'm guessing, is there quite a, a list, a waiting list for guardians, people who would like one of these dogs? Or Definitely. And what's interesting is when we first started this project in 2015, uh, you know, on Saturdays, our guardians would walk with their dogs to the big fix and um, people would actually laugh at them. And yeah. I thought to myself, oh, no, what have I done here? These people are already ostracized by their communities. <laughs> And now I've created something that's causing, you know, their neighbors to laugh at them. But what happened over time was that these people who were initially laughing noticed that, wow, those dogs are looking pretty clean. Those dogs are looking so healthy. And wow, that's pretty amazing that that person knows how to teach their dog yes. to sit or stay or walk on a leash and look at that nice dog collar. And, and pretty soon people started coming to our gate and saying, hey, how do we, how do we get a uh, join this project? But what we do is we actually have village counseling sessions uh, for war trauma survivors in five locations. And so all of our Comfort Dog Project participants come from those counseling groups because those people have already demonstrated a desire to overcome their situation. Yep. And they've already been trying to work on uh, overcoming um, their symptoms of PTSD. And so from those groups, yes, uh, I would say that most people in those groups want to be part of the comfort dog project. And we have probably about 200 people in those groups. So selecting 12 is very challenging and we would definitely like to get to the point where we could uh, have a bigger class than that. Yeah. And what's holding you back from uh, working with more dogs and, and helping more people? Is it a financial thing or? It's financial, but also uh, with the staff that we have right now, quality is very important to us. Yes. You know, it takes a lot of commitment to help a person to 
turn their life around. And we also feel that if we had too many people at once, that we may not be able to have the success rate that we have. Yes. We would need more staff members. We would need another community psychologist. We would need, you know, other people working on dog welfare and dog training. So with our existing staff, we feel like the number that we've done is the number that we can do an excellent job with. And we we know this works because since our very first year, we have done pre and post program assessments of PTSD symptom severity in our participants. Wow. So most of the participants enter our project with a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder and or major depression, and their symptom severity is usually severe. Mm. Um, and then we assess how they're doing after the 20-week training program. And in almost all cases, we've seen a reduction in symptom severity. And over time, we have seen an elimination of symptoms in many of our project participants. Wow. For instance, wow. Filda, who I talked to about who entered the program with severe symptoms, she now has no symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. So this does work. Amazing. So cool. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I'm going to jump around here because I've got a few questions. But sure. um, tell me, first of all, why, why did you say that people laugh at the dogs? What, they used to laugh at the men, at people walking the dogs. Why, what is the stigma attached to having a dog? Was it the type of dog or do people not have dogs as pets in Uganda? Or what's the situation? Um, it's just that there's a long history of people living with dogs in northern Uganda. Dogs were used for protection, for hunting you never would touch your dog. I mean, that would be unheard of because oh. dogs have mange, dogs have fleas, dogs have ticks, they smell bad, they bite people occasionally, you know, so there would be no reason for most people to ever want to touch a dog. In addition, the war caused a lot of fear about dogs because for the rebel soldiers, they were constantly dealing with dogs trying to protect the villages. Mm. And for... Um, you know, for the civilians, they would deal with government forces using dogs in an aggressive manner against gotcha. them. Yep. So most people feared dogs. And the idea of touching a dog was very foreign. And I remember when we first started doing these village field clinics, I would work in the recovery area when we would do surgeries. And I would be, you know, putting the dogs on a towel, which was hysterical, the funniest thing in the world that people had seen, that we would be using a towel to put a dog on. And then I would get down on the ground and trim the toenails, which would just cause, you know, huge groups of people to burst out laughing. They'd never seen such a funny thing before. Uh, but you have to remember that also people didn't realize that dogs have feelings. Uh, I've had teachers come to me and say, yep. you know what, until you came to our school, I didn't realize that dogs feel pain. Oh, I, I didn't realize that dogs can be happy about things. So yep. there's kind of a disconnect. And oh. when we started seeing a shift in that was um, in, in teaching people how to wash their dogs, because obviously, you know, washing a dog can help promote good health and teaching them, you know, giving them uh, spot on flea and tick treatments. And once we started teaching people how to wash and groom their dogs, there was this shift 
You know, people started, mm. some people would carry their dogs home because they didn't want them to get dirty walking back home after a clinic. <laughs> and there was this shift and people, when their dogs were clean, started touching the dogs. Oh. And as you know, when you start touching the dog, the dog is going to start feeling comfortable with you. A dog's going to start showing appreciation. You're going to touch your dog more. And so this is when we started seeing bonds developing. And that was one of the factors that helped us to come up with the idea for the comfort dog project it's beautiful it's there's something inside me i I read a post and it it said what is wrong with the world what is wrong and there's a a very wise person sat there and they said we have disconnected from spirit yes and what that means is spirit if you think of it as energy if you think of it as god universe it's this connection between us. And mm-hmm. what we're touching into here is this, this, I don't know how to put it, but, you know, as humans, sometimes, you know, you've got to laugh that, you know, we, we really are. There's not much common sense. We were, we're talking about this. There's not much common sense sometimes left with us humans. We were talking about this before we pressed record. Yes. And um, it's like, where's the common sense, you know, that we, we struggle to be able to see that these animals have feelings, yes. that they can be happy. It's it's not rocket science. It's not complicated. And it takes me back to something we were talking about earlier that, you know, what I love about your project is the dog's there and what's going on. It's not much different from what's happening in California. And I have a specific example of what I mean that one of my very good friends, one of my best friends called Paul. I won't give his surname, but Paul, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. He, he said, I'm going to get a dog. And he's worked. I'm from the UK. We work together and he moves to California and he's very successful. And suddenly he's going to get a dog. What dog should I get? What breed? And I'm like, well, just get a nice, you know, meet the dog. And just if you connect with it, he's like, okay, okay. He hasn't got a clue. And he watched my uh, program training, how to train and connect with the dogs. And he says, it's going well. I'm loving it. And then a few weeks later, it's like, this is incredible what's happening. The dog is falling in love with me. <laughs> and then a few weeks later, it's like, Dan, this, this is insane. Like I can't believe I I I can't believe I've lived my whole life without oh. like having a dog in my life. Oh yeah. And then I spoke to him not long ago. He said, "Dan, this dog is my life. Oh. I can't believe the connection I have with this animal. It loves me. It loves me." And it's like, yeah, yeah. And yet, how many of us can associate with that? Yes. that we're never happier than when we are looking into the eyes of our dog. Exactly. And the dog is looking into our eyes, and we know that the dog is thinking of nothing else but us exactly and there's a deep connection exactly and they don't judge us their love is so unconditional and this is why they're effective in helping war trauma survivors because as part of dealing with war trauma talking about what you were involved with is important and people judge you and dogs don't yes and so one thing we do is we tell our participants to talk to their dogs and it, it might sound crazy to some people, but it actually works because, as you said, all you get back from the dog is unconditional love and devotion. Yes, yes. I mean, oh, it's 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 an area which is huge, you know, being able to forgive ourselves and be loved and know that we're loved regardless. And, you know, I do, I do, yes. do more and more work with men in men's group, helping men become better men, and I'm myself included in that. And a lot of it is, is about shifting shame, and shame is – effectively being unlovable and it's almost the opposite of unconditional love that we can be accepted and loved and our dogs just know nothing else so yeah 
Incredible. Yeah. And you can imagine the shame that yes. people feel when they've been forced to participate in such egregious acts as in times of war. Yes. So that's, it's, you're absolutely right. That's a critical point. Yeah. So moving on again, jumping, jumping back onto ticks, fleas, mange, and rabies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you touched on those things, you know, I'm just coming from New Zealand where we don't, we have a few ticks maybe and a couple of fleas, but. <laughs> right. But can you tell us how, how widespread is it? Is it, is it, is it something that's easily dealt with? And is it, you know, just a little bit about that. How much of that stuff do you see and, and can you help with? Rabies is a major public health concern in northern Uganda. And it's primarily because of the lack of services and because of the extreme poverty. You know, rabies still kills 59,000 people a year in the world. And most of those deaths occur in Asia and Africa. Wow. And Uganda is one of the epicenters, um, one of the highest incidents of rabies deaths, not only wow. due to, to animals, but also people. You know, in November, we vaccinate dogs in Minikulu Trading Center in Oyam District, northern Uganda. We do that because two years ago, there was a very much loved woman who was a restaurant owner there. And one Sunday morning, she was opening the doors of her restaurant. And all of a sudden, this rabid dog attacked her out of nowhere. And she was basically struggling for her life with this dog who had gone mad from the disease. I mean, this is not a fault of dogs. This is a virus that affects them as well. And in the process of struggling with this dog, she even broke her arm to let you know, you know, how aggressive dogs can become when they're afflicted with the rabies virus. And uh, unfortunately, because she wasn't given proper post-exposure treatment for rabies, she died. Wow. And wow. her family, she has five beautiful children. She has an extended family of people just who loved her so much. And the entire community loved her so much. She was a very generous person, built a, a home for her mother. Um, you know, she died the most brutal, horrible death imaginable. And so it's very real to us in northern Uganda. And mm. I would say it's probably safe to say that most people living in northern Uganda know someone who has died from rabies. Wow. Which to me is completely unacceptable because mm. this is a deadly virus, 100% fatal once symptoms appear, but it's also 100% preventable mm. through vaccination of our dogs. The challenge is we have to reach 70% vaccination. So to date, the Big Fix has vaccinated over 72,000 dogs in northern Uganda. But still, we are seeing cases of rabies because it's such a vast region and there are so many remote areas. In the areas where we have been working, we definitely see a dramatic increase or even absence of rabies cases now. But in other areas, it's still very problematic. So how how much does it cost, um, like the, one of the vaccinations for, for rabies? It costs a dollar. It costs a dollar to vaccinate a dog. One and, dollar. Um, one dollar. One dollar. And, so, and, and how many dogs are there in Uganda, roughly? That's a very good question. We know there are seven million people living in the northern Uganda region. Yeah. There hasn't been a really reliable yet dog population survey. We've done surveys in certain parts of northern Uganda, such as the Gulu City area. 
And surprisingly, even in the Gulu City area, we found um, in surveying households that nearly 100% of households have at least one dog. Wow. So from this, we can surmise that um, the dog population in northern Uganda is definitely well over tens of thousands. I mean, could be over 100,000 dogs. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, but we've been concentrating mostly in the Gulu City area and the Gulu District area. So you're saying in northern Uganda, there could be almost 100,000 or a few more than that, even dogs. Is that right? Yeah, we really don't know because, yeah. you know, it's very common to have many dogs yes. in the rural villages. But very roughly, you've, you're saying you've vaccinated 72,000 dogs, you said? Yes, that's been primarily in um, the Gulu mm. district area, um, and we've expanded out a little bit from that area. It used to be in 2012 that there were regular suspected cases of rabies. In fact, on our very first day of going to do a village field clinic in August of 2012, the district veterinary officer asked us to go and euthanize a rabid dog, which had been captured in a, in a storage building, which we did. So, I mean, on my first day out working on rabies vaccinations, I saw with my own eyes a rabid mm. dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. But these days, those incidents in the areas where we've been working are very um, few. Yeah. But still, there are so many in this is a vast region and we yes. have a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But it, it certainly seems doable. You know, it's not like there's 23 million dogs and it costs exactly. $150 per vaccination and you've only done 3%. It's Exactly. You, the numbers are opposite. You, you've done so many. So, oh, I really do wish you all the best. And, Thank you. And I think this brings us on to, you know, I, I always like to do a bit of a shout out, you know, for people who want to know more, who go, I would love to just maybe financially help or maybe just support, I don't know, by telling friends or, you know, there's so many ways to help. What 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 would be the best website for people to go to, um, Sarah, to find out more? Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. It, our website is www.thebigfixuganda.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, The Big Fix Uganda or the Comfort Dog Project. We have two pages, and we're on Instagram as Big Fix Uganda and on YouTube as the Big Fix Uganda. Brilliant. And I'll grab all of those URLs and links and whatever you call them and put them on our website page. Thank you so much. No, that's all good. The online dog trainer.com forward slash the big fix, or just search for the big fix and it'll come up. And, um, and and just one of the things I just want to say that I do love so much about your work is the accounting of where the money goes is so precise and transparent. It's not like uh, you go, oh, where's all the money going? You can see it. You can see every nut, bolt and screw pretty much where the money goes and it's all going on vaccinations and training and it's great. So Thank you. That's something that's very important to us. And every year we publish our financial statements showing where every dollar goes so you can see uh, how much we pay our staff members, how much we yep. spend on veterinary supplies, which are our number one yep. expense, how much we spend on everything. So thank you for acknowledging that. Oh, oh you no, know, you're welcome. Is it, are we allowed to put that up on our um, on the website? Absolutely. Absolutely. So anybody who's interested in charity and how much money is spent where and you know, anyone who's sitting on a pot of gold, you know, you've got twenty thousand, you wanna oh. <laughs> and you go, yeah, I know. Even if you've only got fifty dollars, I mean, let's be serious. Even if you're going, Well, I haven't really got that much, I've only got fifty dollars. Oh. Fifty dollars 
yeah, well, do you want to say what fifty dollars is? Fifty dollars is is a lot of money for us. Yeah. I mean, we can spay five female dogs, spay, vaccinate deworm, and treat with flicks and te- treat for fleas and ticks, and give a dog collar to five dogs for fifty dollars in northern Uganda. And those dogs already have loving homes. So, I mean, that makes a huge impact in spaying a female dog. Do you hear that, guys? Yeah, you hear that? Fifty bucks. Um, also. We can, we can, $50, we can vaccinate 50 dogs, yeah. 50 dogs. That's one small village mm, of dogs, $50. We can send one of the top police officials and one of our comfort dog project teams to a school to do a visit. You know, one of our, our education team members is one of the top police officials in Northern Uganda who goes out talking to kids about why it's illegal to do, you know, criminal acts against animals. I mean, he's a pretty compelling guy. And, and um, you know, so $50 makes a big impact at mm. the Big Fix Uganda, for sure. Yeah. And so I, I think that's another thing I love about what you do. You know, not only is it transparent where the money goes, but also it has such a huge impact. And, you know, whether I'm helping a dog down the road or whether I'm helping a dog live a better life in California or China or Taiwan or Uganda, it doesn't really matter to me. People are people and dogs are dogs and I love yes. all. So thank um, you. Uh, I'm just thinking, looking at the time, going, really should wrap this up. It's a good, we've had a good chat. There's so much more we could chat about. I'm thinking, have I missed anything? Is there anything you can think of that I've missed that you really wanted to touch on? Um, if you were to say or share some other story or something you you feel is important to you that you'd love to share with me? I think I would I would just share the story of one of our other Comfort Dog Project guardians, Lucy. Lucy and Sadiq? Um, I talked to you a little bit about Lucy and her dog, Sadiq. Yes. And, um, you know, Lucy was somebody who had children um, and she didn't have a way of supporting them. She's a single mother. She has a lot of health challenges and she's now employed by the Big Fix Uganda as one of our assistant dog trainers Mm -hmm. and mentors for new people. So when you're supporting our organization, you're really giving people the opportunity to have you know, dignity and to take care of themselves because we employ as many of them as possible to carry out our mission. So thank yeah. you so much, Dan, for all you do and for giving a shout out to our work. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, you're you're welcome. And and just touching on that, you know, what I love as well is, is the loyalty, like you say, the appreciation of these people sometimes blows me away. It's like I've seen the photos and I'll try and find the one of people standing in queues like a hundred people long in the midday sun just because there's somebody there who's going to do vaccinations and i think about how we complain when we go to the vets and there's three people and we have to wait 20 minutes these people are stood there yes dan i mean if i could just tell you one other thing last time i was there uh there i came outside in the morning and in front of the hospital a man was sitting with no shoes on and kind of a rag for a shirt with three dogs so I went to talk to him. The man had walked for three days with his dogs to bring them to the hospital. Oh. I mean, how can you not give everything of yourself to promote this mission when you see that? That's why I am so devoted. It's because of the people mm. and their this this love for their animals. And it's it's quite amazing. Wow. So I don't even know how to summarize or close or finish this one. It's like, (laughs) other than to say, come on, guys, let's let's do what we can. If you've got 20 bucks, 50 bucks, if you want to just share a video, come watch. So, yeah, 
go to the online dog trainer.com forward slash the big fix or go to uh, the big fix uganda.org. .org. Yeah. Yes. And um, yeah, you. I truly wish you all the best. And uh, thank you so much. Appreciate your work on behalf of everybody who loves dogs and people and keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you for all the contributions you've made to helping us with our dog training efforts. We are so grateful to you. Yeah, yeah. No, love love what you do and love supporting you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, to you all, have a great day. And as always, love your dogs. You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan Podcast Show bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog.